Hi there, and welcome to the program. We're listening live to News of the World. I'm Mark, and on the other side of the microphone joining you on this fine day is Tim Pritlove. Hi, Tim. Hello. This isn't is it, me. Isn't it a lovely day? It is. I don't know the how much longer is I can keep that up. <laughs> <laughs> I could do a whole show like that. Fluffy clouds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, chill, yeah. you know? Yeah. Tune there down. Were, Calm down, be because there's, there's so, so much noise in the world, so much distortion, so much distraction, so much things, so much mm. news mm. that, you know, keeps you awake at night. So sometimes we all need a break. A smooth break. Yes. And oh, that's, that's why we're here. <laughs> yes. Yes. So welcome, everyone. As you know, this is News of the World, and we've got some news to take care of. So um, shall we get down to it? Let's get down to it. Absolutely. I put Syria back at the top. I know, week number two at the top. Um, but of course, it's going to be in the top for quite a, a oh, few yeah, weeks. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Now, when we last left you, uh, just last week, it was the news that um, Syria was, uh, well, there was evidence uh, and it was just a matter of confirmation that they had used chemical weapons. The the inspectors have been in there this week. I've kept an eye on what they say, and I still never get a very clear report from the inspectors, but I do get that, among other things, they've been shelled while they're trying to do their investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. government has said it's the Syrian government that's shelling inspectors. Um, I, I'm sure the Syrian government says it's not us. No, no, it's the terrorists. Right. So, um, and I, I basically at this point, yesterday, last night uh, was the last time I was reading on this topic. Um, you, the United Kingdom has recalled Parliament, and they want to basically have a some kind of a, a decision made on possible military intervention, or at least giving the the okay to do something. The U.S. is in a really odd situation now. Uh, as, of course, the president and, and a few others, key people in government have said, this is the line, right? The red line. Oh, yeah, that one. They've been drawing red lines for a while, and it's always been chemical weapons. Well, here we are. We've crossed the red line. Now what is the big question? Um, so the even the newspapers here in the Netherlands, uh, which, which I happen to get in paper form still, uh, are putting up maps, you know, with all the bases of where the British have... Uh, uh, air bases where the U.S. has Marine and um, Navy units, so it it feels like an old school. You know, this something's coming. Uh, we'll bomb them, and then we'll see. Uh, the U.S. insists boots on the ground, as they say, would is not likely. And the other thing that I, I, I put in this week's news roundup is this public opinion aspect. Uh, now, of course, you don't have to have public opinion. Um, I don't think in, in many of these countries, in the UK, uh, in the Netherlands, in the US, you don't need public opinion if you want to get involved or you feel the need as a government to get involved in a military intervention. But it, of course, can matter. And so a lot of polls have been coming out this week, and basically they show, in the case of the United States, people do not want to get involved. You get an answer of like, what, 40, 50 I think even less percent of people who just say it's not our thing. It's not for us. Uh, I, I saw one, let me see if I can open it up. Uh, 60% of Americans say, um, well, they said last year that only if chemical weapons were used, but now 
uh, they're saying even now that, that they don't really follow the conflict and they don't feel U.S. military should get involved. So there's a weird kind of relationship here where they call it being you know, weary of war, tired of war, um, which is possible. But still, uh, it used to be if you did something so awful, like use chemical weapons, you'd have to, you know, as a public person paying taxes, you'd have to say, well, we have to stop this. But that's not necessarily true anymore. Well, I mean, once once the order is given to attack, you know, usually uh, the American public reacts in this support your troops mode, you know. Like, now that we True. are on our way, it all doesn't matter, and we stand as one, we support our troops and all that blah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the outcome sooner or later anyway. But... I think Obama is also aware that you know this the, these last wars have cost them a lot of money, money they still don't have, and yeah. they don't really want to spend. And also, it's not only about the money; it's also about the bad opinion the world uh, has for, of the U United States, and that's definitely something he doesn't want to be uh, involved with. Although now the red line has been crossed, you know, he has uh, painted it and um, now they have to um, do the, the, the crazy dance uh, around yeah. these uh, uh, red lines. So what? Because if he does not do anything now, uh, that's a problem too. So yeah. in, a, in a way they've brought themselves into a position where they have to... Um, React. Um, you've been linking to this article about uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. Now giving a statement about you know how the American government sees this case, and he's using the words "no doubt." Yeah. Which means, you know, the decision has been made. It's just not yet clear what the decision is, and he's talking about all the options the uh, American government has. Uh, which, what did he say? In, does not only include uh, military force. Um, mm, yeah. yeah, actually, he, he used a, a much more interesting uh, statement here. Um, what was it? I found that really interesting. Um. <laughs> I mean, besides. I guess he's he might be refer <laughs> he might be referring to uh, cyber power. Oh no, uh, he says his <laughs> options are many. His the 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 president's options are many, and they include a variety of options that are not limited to the use of force. Yes, it's like yeah, we could use force. We could even use something even more. <laughs> something we're gonna more. use a lot of soft things. Yes, pillows and blankets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cushions. We're gonna we're gonna talk you, talk yeah. you down, talk you to sleep. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> it's a magic wand, probably they uh, want to uh, use. Anyway, yeah. so the the uh, the military option is on the table, mm. and it seems very unlikely that's not being used. And of course, this would mean. So if they go for the military option, it would for sure mean uh, drone attacks, missile attacks on command center is a probably government building sort of, a lot of rem remote yeah. control stuff yes with nice pictures of destroyed bunkers and bad weapons that are about to kill small children and all that uh, stuff 
So that's what's happening. The question is, what next? I mean, Syria is certainly prepared for this somehow. I mean, to the extent of preparedness that is possible uh, for them. But I think it's totally clear that even if you come with a strong strike and uh, have a campaign that's probably running for two weeks, there will still be enough military power left to you know, keep uh, the option of um, ground troops out of the equation. They are not going to move in. So the only thing they can do in a way is sort of, you know, show them that, you know, it doesn't pay to use chemical weapons. Yeah. Yeah, That's, and now from from the Syrian government, you're getting... I mean, they've been trying to sound strong since the beginning, but now they're, st you know, they're saying, oh, if anyone should try to attack us, they'll be surprised at the weapons that we have. Which, you know, look, the, the old <laughs> spokesperson for Saddam Hussein used to, used to talk a mighty talk as well, and, you know, oh, it's not happening here. You remember what's his name? This 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 uh, invasion is not happening here. <laughs> no, there are no Americans on the ground. So I, I hear echoes of that a little bit. Unless I mean, he means like the stuff they bought from Russia. So that that reminds me of something else with this whole intervention thing. I guess military intervention. What you also have that a tool to be used in these situations, uh, unfortunately, is the Security Council. Would be you could use the Security Council. The problem is, of course, you have Russia, you have China, and they're it seems they're going to continue to say no. I haven't even read their reasoning since the uh, chemical weapons... Uh, uh, well, I guess I don't know if we have a full confirmation yet. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. But still, it seems like Russia especially will not be changing their tune no matter what. They have no red line. Um, so that, I think, automatically... Uh, takes away the option of using the Security Council or letting the Security Council do its job in a way because uh, one of its functions is to make sure, yeah, eh, chemical weapons aren't used or that there's some kind of answer. Yeah. So this looks more like the uh, revival of the coalition term that uh, oh, seems yeah. to um, you know, imply that there's some kind of legitimacy behind the move because it's more than just us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, even on the Turkish border, you have these Patriot missiles, which were originally, I think, for defense. They are for defense. Um, and they're what? They're Dutch, they're German. German. And I think maybe British or something. So th those can be used, uh, in the, not just defensively, I believe. Um, so everybody's sort of in a position where they, they may get involved. I think the Patriot missiles are explicitly defensive measures, but nobody knows what else is uh, there. But I think Turkey is not going to be at the forefront and not going to invade because you know it's, it's a neighbor and they can be in deep uh, trouble if they do that. They could be in deep trouble anyway. I'm not so sure uh, Syria is going to attack uh, Turkey uh, <laughs> when things start out to turn ugly uh, because that's there are sort of you know the north is not really the stronghold uh, right now and i guess they're going to be focused much more on securing damascus and probably you know they always have the option of attacking israel although i'm not so sure how they think about this uh, because once uh, israel gets attacked i think israel is going to retaliate in a big way yeah no i i, I think the syrian government again is playing that whole card of being much stronger than they are Uh, and that's how it often is when you have uh, a sort of strong man in power. You you pretend 
that you've got it all under control. You may even look like you have it all under control, and then one day later, you're you're gone. You're hiding in a hole. You're yeah. you're running off to Dubai. Um, so we'll see. And and that's the big question now in in the international and in the domestic press in the U.S. It's all about you know what what is the U.S. going to do? But I'm I'm curious to see what the U.K. does. I mean, we saw with Libya that it's not always about the U.S. Uh, sometimes uh, it can be the UK and France saying, well, we have some things we can do. I mean, there are more uh, voices in that uh, choir. There's also Iran. Yeah, you know, Saudi Arabia of, yesterday. Uh, uh, what did they do? What did uh, they I believe say? they made a big statement saying uh, th this can't be, this cannot stand, this chemical weapons use is not okay. Yeah, and Iran, of course, is uh, you know on the other uh, side of the uh, equation. Yeah, this whole area uh, continues to be uh, a total mess and um, we have to see what the decision is going to be. Yeah, so we'll probably hear about it next week already. Uh, let's move on, let's move on. Uh, and we were just speaking about France in, in the context of the UN to some extent. Well, I saw this other uh, issue come up and, and you know, really when it rains and it pours uh, because the French president, François Hollande, he was making a speech about the UN taking action, but his focus was the Central African Republic. Now, this is a country that's come into our notes uh, several times, I think, over the last year. Uh, Hollande is calling it potentially the next Somalia. He, he used the word Somalization. It's on the verge of Somalization, mm -hmm. which I think is, is very hurtful to Somalia. I mean, they're trying, <laughs> but all right, uh -huh. become a, a verb. Um, and he's calling on the African Union and the Security Council to help, I guess, keep this uh, recently sworn in former rebel uh, president, uh, Michel Chodotia, Chododia, who is struggling to control the country. And, you know, you've got uh, still forces loyal to the former president running around in the country. And that's mostly who these, these battles are between. And... He's saying this could be a, a massive disaster that lasts for decades and decades, and the answer is uh, Security Council action. And I don't know that, that anyone's in any position to send troops. Um, the African Union itself is pretty busy. Uh, I've seen the videos. They're, they're busy in Somalia. <laughs> they're, they're somewhat involved with this whole uh, Mali security, although I guess that's mostly Chad. So, I don't know, they're, they're calling for, yeah, sort of outside intervention for the Central African Republic. Of course, Central African Republic, uh, a reminder, it's home to 4.4 million people, but also it's got a lot when it comes to mineral uh, resources. Among the resources it's got, uranium, which is quite important uh, to not just France, but uh, many countries out there. So it's, you know, it's another case of a very mineral-rich country with a very unstable uh, government and, and basically security situation. Yeah, we should have a, a look at the map here too. Central uh, African Republic is, in, uh, is neighbor to uh, South Sudan, which we touched um, last week, uh, Cameroon, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, in the south, which is sort of known for these kinds of uh, rebel activity and uh, struggles, ongoing struggles for a, a long time. And much more interesting in this case is the northern neighbor, 
uh, apart from a short border to Sudan, there is uh, Chad. And Chad, uh, we talked about this a lot when we were discussing the ongoings in uh, Mali. Is also uh, a basis for um, French troops. So they have military bases there and uh, flying into uh, Central African Republic would at least be a possibility for the French troops. But this is definitely in the in the area of the core French interest, especially regarding nuclear resources. Yeah, which is uh, what last I checked, somewhere in the range of eighty-five, ninety percent of their energy uh, is is nuclear. Yes, uh, France is still very dedicated to uh, nuclear energy production and. Uh, These are the fights you have to fight for if you rely on this kind of energy. Yeah. I mean, and not to, not to overlook the fact that France diplomatically cares about human rights. It, it does. I mean, but, right, there's a certain interest. They does, but uh, the destabilization uh, they see here is obviously not only the destabilization <laughs> of Central African Republic, but if, if they're talking about Somalization, that basically means that a country sort of completely falls out of that international control, this, uh, um, yeah. you know, priority of um, or supremacy of, of, of legal governments. Yeah. Uh, Becomes a no-go. Yeah, of exchange with, you know, total rebel uh, activity where you don't really know how you can influence the country and where... You know, air quotes, uh, terrorism, you know, can take root and sort of destabilize the whole region. And of course, Chad uh, doesn't want to be destabilized in that sense. So it might well be that the government of Chad is sort of knocking at the French door and saying like, oh, you know, we help you. Um, help us. Yeah. Help us. Help you. Help you. Help us. Mm. All right, so we'll see what happens with the possible, or at least some talk of UN intervention in CAR, as I like to call it, CAR. Uh, let's go to Liberia. I want to stay in Africa because I saw this story. It circulated a bit the last two days, mostly in big media. The Guardian had a more recent uh, update to the story. Uh, Liberia, you had 25,000 applicants to university uh, this year, and 25,000 applicants failed the university entrance exam. It's really seemingly a very odd piece of news. Uh, it's the first time it's ever happened, apparently. And uh, this brings on the larger topic of what's going on with education and in general uh, with the sort of rebuilding recovery of Liberia. Of course, Liberia's run, or at least <laughs> the president of Liberia is Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who, who has gotten a lot of praise, uh, including a, a Peace Prize, I believe. And, uh, I mean, she's not, education is not her only issue. Uh, it's mostly, I think, infrastructure development and that sort of thing. But uh, now she's intervened in this whole mess, um, and she's given places, it seems, to 1,800 students. Basically, they lowered the criteria. Um, the sort of person in charge of education has said that the biggest problem is simply that students are not good at English. They have no mastery or or they're just not able to pass these exams when it comes to English requirements. So they lowered the percentage or the, the you know the, the grade required. Yeah. Yeah. Um I thought it was interesting, like, you know, 
This happens a lot. I've seen this in the U.S. There's a consultant that's been hired. You know, you hire someone from the outside <laughs> mm-hmm. to to oversee uh, your education system. And, you know, consultants always promise a lot of things and, and get a lot of money for what they do. Um, and I've seen cases where consultants do absolutely nothing and take a lot of money. Um, so they, they were actually quoted one of these consultants, James Darber Jala, um, and he says that uh, basically uh, universities are uh, are in huge trouble. And uh, I looked it up because I was curious, um, and this is the best number I could find. Liberia's education budget um, is in U.S. dollars fifteen million this year, fifteen million dollars. And I was kind of curious just to do a comparison, uh, although it's it's a far different world. But um, if Liberia has three point seven million people. I come from the state of New Jersey. We have 9 million people. Okay, that's, that's more than double. Mm-hmm. Um, educational budget in my state, $9 billion. $9 billion to their $15 million. I mean, it's... it's uh, Very it's difficult not, to do. Uh, uh, yeah. Population just, is actually uh, a bit higher, at least um, if I look four? it up at uh, Wikipedia, it's uh, four at one, yes. Oh, yeah. um, oh. That's from 2011 by World Bank. So I, I don't get it. Like, I understand it takes a long time. I, I, you know, I, I'll try to remind myself of that. It takes a long time to rebuild a country after a, a civil war and, and everything is destroyed. Um, but I just don't get the Sirleaf mania. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's some aspect of the country that she's done tremendous amount with. Uh, but it, it, why, not, why not work on education? <laughs> you know. Yeah, maybe they just set the wrong standards i mean that could also uh, uh be you know mm. who knows mm. yeah i mean I, yeah it's it's hard i'm sure it's really difficult uh and maybe the president and, and the administration in general doesn't have that much power maybe the consultants have all the power so fire the consultants i say <laughs> uh, that's the first thing you do yeah and i want to know how much of this 15 million in their education budget goes to consultants because uh, I'm sure it's too much. Yeah, it pro- could probably rebuild the university from that money. Yeah, make another one with lower standards. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see what happens this school year in Liberia. We'll keep an eye. Uh, next topic, and I don't know if we've talked much about it, and so I wanted to bring up the issue of Russia. And, you know, there's a, a big campaign going on. I see it a lot on the Internet, but I, I believe there are also you know protests in the streets against uh, not just Putin, but generally the Russian government's um, discriminatory policies, homophobic policies, basically, towards gay and lesbian people. Um, uh, So the latest sort of artistic expression of this was in St. Petersburg, a painting that had both Medvedev and Putin in women's underwear, looking very touching, and, and, and sweet. And uh, <laughs> the police have bra. confiscated it. Yeah, yeah. a swimsuit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they look very, very loving. Yes. And uh, the police have seized the paintings, uh, declaring it somehow illegal. They don't say how, I don't think. Um, you know, it's the whole violation. It's that law that's on the books. Thou shalt not put your president and your prime minister in women's underwear <laughs> on a painting. <laughs> with breasts <laughs> yeah uh he the artist could get one year in prison again under some weird law that says you can't do this um 
Yeah, yeah. Next week, by the way, is the G20 summit. So this is also perhaps a reason that it's it's going to be in St. Petersburg. Uh, so this could mean extra police uh, raids on galleries that may have Putin in pink. Um, but I've been watching this campaign like a little bit in the background. You know, you have the Sochi Olympics, I guess, coming this winter. And there's a big campaign saying, you know, boycott the Olympics, uh, pointing out all the different anti-gay laws that are on the books that have recently been put on the books in, in Russia. And uh, I, it gets a good amount of, of coverage, uh, it, it's, at least in the English language uh, world. I don't know what yeah. Russians think of it and, and that to some extent that matters you know yeah i'm not so sure about the the, the russian uh, public which is probably uh, to a large part uh, intrinsically homophobic uh, itself you know that's not only that the government you know says it it's it's also in in the society um and sort of putin is just delivering on that because i i think at the end he doesn't really care about it you know but I don't, you know, I think Putin is is pandering to some, or he's not pandering, he really means this, but I think he's representative of some old school Russian thing that is not necessarily so dominant, but people cower to this sort of stuff, like, oh yeah, yeah, it's bad, yeah, well, Putin had to do that, sure, break up that, that gay pride, that's terrible. But I think like, you know, well, okay, cities like St. Petersburg are already different, uh, but even in Moscow, you know... I, I, I think it's just that people are quiet or, or afraid, but I don't. I don't think the homophobia is as prevalent. I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna study Russian culture more. I mean, think in, in in general. I mean, the 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 gay scene has a tendency to be, you know, uh, liberal on a on a above average level. Sure. You know? And uh, because they have problem with the um the current state of the society and sort of are by definition not conservative and yeah that's that's what they care about on a political level that's why it's not though that they really think about you know being gay is bad it's more like oh this is a scene of free thinkers you know <laughs> and that's something we don't like and no. that's why we take up on this um public opinion that this is bad for whatever reasons and sort of try to make a point here but it's it's totally absurd and i think they can only lose especially regarding the olympics this is going to be a big topic i mean at least in germany this is going to be all over yeah uh, uh, this i'll is not, gladly join a boycott and oh, not yeah. pay attention <laughs> yeah i mean i'm not paying attention to the olympics for a very long time so there's not so much i can uh, uh change about this but this uh it's just going to be at least in germany for sure that once the Olympics starts, the, 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 this discussion about these rules is just going on and going on and going mm. on. The, the general opinion about Russia is really bad and it's not going to be better then. But that makes this an interesting year, a big opportunity for people who want to at least spark some debate uh, outside and inside of Russia. Uh, so it's, you know, it could be useful. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. In a way, he's sort of, you know, by by putting so much pressure on it i think in the long run he's furthering the case of mm -hmm. uh the gay rights scene yeah ah. see how that works yeah. uh all right the thing that everybody wants to know everybody's talking about internet.org tim really <laughs> <laughs> yawn, yawn. I, uh, 
Yeah, so internet.org, uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, maybe it is, I don't know. It's one of those initiatives in Mark Zuckerberg is really into political initiatives uh, recently, although this isn't really marked as a political initiative. I don't really know what it's about. He's giving interviews and talking and flowers like, oh, yeah, and everybody needs access to the internet and it's so, you know, it's so important and... and I really care about those people and, you know, just look at it. In the interview, he says like, yeah, you know, all those who are online right now, you know, have far more money than those billions of people that are not online right now. So, you know, it's not about the money. No, it's not about the money, of course. Um, so, <laughs> but, you know, if we've, we've talked about this a, a, a lot. I mean, there are some emerging markets. And when we're talking about giving access to people, um, internet access to, to people, we're basically talking about Africa. No? Mm -hmm. There are also other regions, but I think Africa is a focus. And um, in the digital world, I think Africa has become something like um, the, the gold mines of of the internet in in the future you know the gold rush why because there is a lot of political trouble uh we have been talking about this a lot but we also see a lot of african companies uh, countries sort of coming to their mind you know finding at least some way of stabilization and democratization uh democratization and they you know, also manage to improve their overall economic situation. And by doing this, they're also very creative. The mobile phone revolution in Africa has done a lot to both the economy and also to the internet because they're coming up with new payment systems and the, uh, especially mobile is very, very important in Africa. And there are some very interesting solutions for mobile payment. Right. Um, in Africa, they are really of interest to uh, the the Western countries because that's something they really love to get into because it sort of breaks away the traditional banking uh, system and changes the rules. Who's you know has them has their hands on on the money flow. So I'm not saying Internet.org is about you know um, you know gaining. Uh, you know, becoming the ruler of Africa in, uh, on on the internet level, but it might might be a part of this uh, equation. I mean, he's talking about data compression and right. nerdy stuff like <clears throat> this, and I don't really know why we need a website, internet dot org. You know, well, where, where did he get that domain from? You know. <laughs> Uh, I <laughs> saw some articles about who owned it originally or something. Oh, he it. might have paid a lot for this. Yes. Um, so I can only say I, I don't know what to think about this. He has apparently joined forces with other companies like uh, Facebook. And so far... Those Zuckerberg he, initiatives have been a yawner to me. Yes, I come from a city where he, he threw money at the school system and nothing happened. Although consultants got paid. Whoops. Yeah. And isn't <laughs> but, he behind this uh, political, uh, didn't he start recently this political uh, campaign um, about for, for immigration, furthering Im immigration in, in the US? Uh, oh, 
there was I know something. That there... I forgot the name. Mm. I thought he would maybe gave money to something, but let's see. No, no uh, it was it was part of it. Yeah, too. today together with um, Senator Marco Rubio, uh, they have they have appeared in public anyway. Um, yeah, and doing? it's it's uh, it's pretty. I mean, we we should uh, have a, a deeper look in, uh, at Zuckerberg's activities. I think he's also uh, furthering uh, initiatives that are behind drilling in Canada and and so on. So, yeah, yeah. I still don't. You know, I I can't say I can't I I don't like him because I don't really know him, but of all those internet people, he's really the one nobody can really attach to. You know, have you ever seen somebody talking about Zuckerberg in a you know in a very positive way? Like what kind of no. Yeah, he's I don't know his he's teamed up with some really weird Republicans. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's definitely something uh, to look at. But I don't know. There's a lot of things coming out of this. For those interested in Internet.org and the plan, uh, the consortium is Nokia, Samsung, Ericsson, the browser, Opera, mm -hmm. uh, Qualcomm, MediaTek, uh, among others, and he released a ten-page white paper on Facebook. I don't know if you can get it if you're not. It's on all companies, you know, that either sell equipment that you need to build up internet structure, like Qualcomm. Mm -hmm. uh, MediaTek, I don't know so much, but they're also mm -hmm. into network infrastructure uh, and, you know, browsers and, and mobile phone companies. I mean, they are all at the forefront of, you know, selling to uh, those people who are in the business of getting to the internet. So <laughs> this really looks uh, fishy to me and I don't really know it needs this kind of initiative i don't really know what they want to enable here i think they're just going to position themselves as the good guys yeah if uh, you want you can read a interview with mark zuckerberg which happened on wired uh like yesterday or so i'll put it in the notes yeah we'll see internet.org they should get a give out uh, email addresses ah mark at internet yeah, although email oh, addresses his... by, by facebook yeah <laughs> I'm never going to be able to have Mark at internet.org. He already <laughs> took it, I'm sure. Dear Mark Zuckerberg, please forward me all mail that was actually going to me. Yeah, uh, but Bicycle Mark at internet.org, I think, is still Could available. Could still be had. Yes, yeah. yes, I'll, yes. I'll ask him. All right, next item on our list. This one is a uh, from a personal friend of mine. Uh, Shafir Rahman is a documentary maker of Bangladeshi origin who lives in the UK. And he's uh, over the years, he's given me and brought me lots of topics uh, from, from um, Bangladesh, but also Dubai, a, a guy with an eye for underreported stories and, and stories from his own country. So he put up this photo series. He's been running around in Dhaka, the capital, um, and in suburbs of Dhaka where some people have money. And he's been running around in the alleyways and the, the, the streets that people don't walk on or or with the people that no one notices, he's done a photo series on beggars. And he points out uh, something very interesting. I guess Bangladesh is going to have some kind of World Series of Cricket soon. They're hosting it. I don't know. I don't even bother looking it up. But what I do know is the government has announced a ban on beggars. And that a is going to go into effect. Yes, it's illegal. I remember Giuliani did this uh, before 9-11. <laughs> and you would get arrested for being homeless. Oh. Uh, 
So oh. now I, they didn't say they're going to arrest them. They just said they're banned. Uh, but that only starts at the end of this year. Uh, and so uh, Shafir points out that there are about 700,000 beggars on the streets, and uh, he went around taking pictures of them. He Seven, just used 700,000. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he ran around taking pictures using a just a mobile phone, I think, a Galaxy, oh, well, Galaxy Note 2, so a little bigger than a mobile phone. And uh, he wanted to keep it low tech for also, like, you know, not a huge fancy camera so that people don't feel so uncomfortable. I think the photo series is pretty uh, beautiful. I'll. A link to it, and if you're if you're not near a browser or you want to remember it, uh, Six Oranges is his website, sixoranges.net. You should be able to find the uh, Banani uh, photo series, and it's r- really beautiful photos. Um, and I, j- I wanted to bring it to the show this week. Uh, Dhaka is the kind of place like I really want to visit one day. I think there's so many stories, uh, but it also it's really heavy place. Obviously, seven hundred thousand people begging on the streets. That's quite significant and the question is then what does this government do in nine months uh, how do you ban humans yeah especially in bangladesh where they, you have so many of them a friend yeah. of mine visited uh bangladesh last year and she <laughs> she told me she's never seen so many humans at, at the same time you which know, <laughs> just permanently Surrounded by huge crowds of people. That's the reality in Bangladesh. Hmm. Yeah, I find myself looking at the photos as we're talking. Okay, I put it away. Um, next item will be one from the news source or for the news sources collection. Oh, I spelt it with an S. Let me fix that. News. Fix it. You know how we do. Uh, Slate.com. It's an American source. Uh, we have never talked about it before. I used it for one of the links today forget which story at this point um but slate is this magazine that feels like it's been around it's the, the russian the the russian the putin uh, ah yes putin and his fine pu- women's underwear yeah, yeah. uh slate is a u.s-based uh, english language uh, basically yeah current affairs and culture i remember it from the 90s um 1996 it was actually founded and i used to ignore it or i still try to ignore it sometimes but because it was owned by microsoft and uh, it was oh, yeah. part of this MSN yeah. world. Oh, yes. <laughs> M- MSDN. But mm-hmm. a lot of people may not know this. Since 2004, it was uh, or has been owned uh, by the Washington Post company. And actually, Washington Post put up this sort of subgroup to manage Slate. So even they don't really oversee the, the operation of it. But they own it. Yes. And the Washington Post has actually changed ownership now last week. Really good show on that uh, on the media. Uh, last week's on the media explains how the Washington Post was bought and why and what's going to happen. It was bought by the guy who uh, Jeff owns Bezos, Amazon. the yeah. owner of uh, of Amazon.com. It's not yeah. bought by uh, Amazon.com, which is uh, very important to point out. But everybody ah. is, you know, thinking about what that actually means, what his intentions are. Yeah, you know. And we will see how many critical reporting on Amazon.com the Washington Post is going to publish in the next years. Yeah, that's true. And he, Bezos is one of those guys. I mean, at this point, it's not even, I don't think it's debate. It's a bit like climate change. Uh, but he you know, believes that there will be no paper uh, newspapers within, I don't know what he says, 10 years or something. Yeah, um, soon. Not that you could have really had an owner at this point that goes, we're still going to have paper. It ha- you know, this is going to last. I don't think... 
I don't think Bezos is a revolutionary for saying that, but that is, you know, he's known for openly saying it, uh, which is sad for people who love paper newspapers. Uh, so I put up Slate uh, because every now and then it comes up uh, as, as a source for some small things. It's always been specializing in being sort of contrarian, saying the opposite of, well, maybe the mainstream a little or the dominant sort of discussion. Sometimes it's just kind of not good, but... Well, anyway, there it is, uh, Slate.com. They also have podcasts. They do. They have 19 podcasts. I have never heard any of them. Oh. And and I think that 19 podcasts might be too many for one magazine. I would have focused on four, maybe three. But they really uh, specialize or or break it down per specialization. So if you just want to listen to one about economy, and there's actually a lot on... very specific issues. And they say they used to be like 15 minutes long. Now there's some can be as long as 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll give some Slate podcast a listen, but I don't think so. <laughs> well. 19 podcasts. Yeah. There can't be too many. No? no. Well, maybe yes. but Well, I mean, uh, if, if like, <laughs> do you know any off the top of your head uh, media company that offers like so like 10 or more podcasts <sighs> only if it's like a news channel right maybe and even then <sighs> i mean like for- it really it really depends on the frequency and and the length uh, and the depth of of the program i mean i i don't care how many categories they put up and how fine-grained they 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 put out their their stuff you know um why not i mean there are at least more uh, more than 19 different topics you could talk about on this planet and if they cover some uh it's 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 fine i mean i see from first look i see there's some um i know i guess i'm just looking at the wrong part here there's no good overview on how where all the how all these podcasts are no uh Named uh, right, it's very uh, political. Where did gab you get the fest, number? F- cultural gab fest. What? what? Sorry. Where did you get the number from? From from from. Uh, it was uh, in 2012 report, and it was cited by oh uh, Wikipedia. Oh. So you had spoiler should, no. specials. That's about film. There's an audio book club, uh, language issues podcast. There's a tips for haggling called the Negotiation Academy. Okay, that I kind of want to try just to know. Uh, African American issues, poetry podcast, women's issues. So you know, you could see where this is going. Oh, yeah, Gapfest yeah. Audio Book Club. Why not? Why I not? I guess yeah. If it works. So yeah, that's it. That is it for today. Uh, let's see. All the notes and stuff will be, of course, up on the website. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm oh I'm going to be doing an emergency travel to uh, to Portugal. I got a I got a grandfather in the hospital. I got to oh, go. Got to go check on him. See. Okay. But yeah. so you don't know how long you're going to stay? 1 week, 1 week I'll, I'll be okay. there. So but maybe I'll, I'll next... have the microphone so we can Okay. Yeah. We can continue uh, publishing the news. Uh one word uh on the news sources uh just to have it mentioned once more. All the news sources we have mentioned so far are collected on our website. And you can, with one click, go directly to the chapter where we are discussing the new source. Uh, so if you're into you know, finding more stuff to subscribe to and read, um, that might be a way to pick something up that you don't know yet. 
Yeah. And I, I want to say this, Tim. I, I, I added the, um, the Podlove player, just the player so far, to, oh. my, to my website, right? But here's what I never realized. Um, I closed the window. I don't know. Sometimes I close tabs by accident, and the, the audio had been playing. When I opened the tab again, went back to the website, it continued playing from where I was. Yes, that's a feature. Yeah. I was impressed. I was impressed. All right. Yeah, He's smiling, uh, people. He's smiling. Yeah. <laughs> it's the small details that matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there you go. There you go. That's one more service you get, News of the World listeners. Great. Cool. All right. Like All right. It. So until next week, thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.